0: Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji Podcast. In this session, we will discuss IDEs, the tools helping you to be a good developer.
1: Welcome to the Fuji Podcast, all your news about OpenJDK.
0: Today, we are talking to some of the key people working on different IDEs, integrated development environments, applications that provide tools to computer programmers for software development. An IDE typically consists of at least a source code editor, build automation tools, and a debugger. I'm curious to learn how these tools evolved, the challenges they faced to stay up to date with the many evolutions in Java and all other programming languages, and what we can still expect in the future.
1: So hi, everyone. I'm Helen Scott. I joined JetBrains midway through 2020 um, after the pandemic had hit, and I pivoted my career from technical writing. So I started off a long time ago uh, as a Java developer, and I've always loved content creation and working with developers, but it was a conversation with Trisha G, who used to work at JetBrains, that really sealed the deal for me. And I was, I still am, blown away by what IDEs can do for us these days. And I, I love that IntelliJ IDEA can do the heavy lifting for me, so we as developers can focus on what we do best, which is solving problems. So my role at JetBrains combines my passion for learning new stuff, continuing to work in the software ecosystem and creating content. So it's the perfect bundle. In fact, I loved working with IntelliJ IDEA so much that I wrote a book on it with Trisha G. I'm going to put a shameless plug in here. Uh, the book is called Getting to Know IntelliJ IDEA and it's available on LeanPub as an ebook or Amazon if you want a physical copy.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Nick. I actually started as a developer at Microsoft uh, when I graduated. I worked at uh, Bing and a little bit on the search engine for a bit uh, three years. Then I actually quit to start as a, a startup. And then I kind of work in the education sector. Uh, and the startup is to teach kids uh, coding, so still related to uh, engineering. Uh, And I think that it was uh, when I found my passion to product management. After three years, uh, actually, I quit the startup to rejoin Microsoft developer division to my current role. Uh, And then I joined the current team as the uh, Java tooling. And uh, now I work in the Visual Studio Code Java team uh, to work on the Java language support for uh, Visual Studio Code.
3: My name is Geertjan. I've been involved with NetBeans um, quite a while, about 20 years, I suppose. From when it was involved and part of uh, Sun Microsystems uh, to the point where it got to Oracle and now in Apache. And the two things I've always really appreciated about working with IDEs is that you end up being at the center of the ecosystem because all the different technologies and languages plug into your environment in one way or another. And... The kind of network you're able to um, to build up on the one hand and on the other hand what i find really interesting as well is that the idea of being a swiss army knife so that's really what netbeans has been about um you open it up and you could do anything you want and um, so that's been my my background um, in netbeans and what i've enjoyed about uh, using it
4: hey my name is martin i work for vmware uh, and I'm part of the core Spring engineering team. So that's the team behind the Spring framework and Spring boot and all that stuff. And uh, my role is to lead the team, the sub team, the small team around the tools. So building developer tools for Spring, all the basically uh, IDE extensions that we build for um, Eclipse, for Visual Studio Code, and for other IDEs as well. Um, so trying to make people using spring boot more productive every day and make their lives easier
0: thank you for joining this podcast from the introduction we already learned a bit about what an ide does but with all the specialists in the house who can tell me what the perfect IDE looks like without pushing your own product?
1: i i have a feeling all our answers might be quite similar here but um for, for me it depends it is really that classic answer of it depends, and it depends on your goals and your way of working and your tools and the ecosystem and your existing knowledge and your timescales and probably other factors that, you know, I could keep you all here for a very long time. But ultimately, it's an IDE. It's an integrated developer environment. So it's your environment. It It's it's what works for you at that time. That for me is um, is what makes the perfect IDE.
3: I would say that um, a perfect IDE is what um, what Microsoft Word is, for example, to somebody writing a book. So when you're a programmer, what kind of tools do you need? You need an editor, you need um, some connection to uh, where the code is stored, you need some refactoring, etc., etc., etc. So what, you know, what are the, the typical tools you need? But then combined with performance, because the more tools you provide in your environment, um, the slower it could become, the more buggy it could become. So finding a balance between the tools that you want to provide and the performance and usability of the end product.
4: Yeah, I think the IDE should really make the developer more productive. It should not, it should never get into the way of the developer doing coding. It should really help them and make them faster. Writing code, uh, executing code, testing code, debugging code—all the stuff. I I think that's that's the thing that I have in mind all the time. Is I'm really trying to make people more effective and basically make the lives of make the lives of developers just better and more enjoyable.
2: Uh, I think I agree with all the points above, Uh, and I think uh, uh, extensible uh, being extensible is also very important. Uh, I think we see that in uh, all the. The IDs we work with, uh, there is a, like a marketplace or in the plugins. Uh, we allow the third-party developers to develop develop their own, uh, you know, plugins to uh, to work with the you know a lot of frameworks they need to support in their projects. So uh, I think that's also uh, pretty important. Yeah,
0: thank you. And we have uh, now different opinions, but from each product. So that's very great. When I started programming and and doing web development, it was uh, Microsoft FrontPage. That was my very first product, but that's going way back in history. We had Adobe Dreamweaver in between, which actually that's where I learned that, that the tool can do a lot for you. It generated code and a connection to a database. But what I've also seen is that that IDEs are not only a program. There's a whole community around it, like you said, uh, extensions from uh, Visual Studio Code. Uh, Hirtian, uh NetBeans itself is also a community and, and
3: this has been built a lot on top of NetBeans. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, well, there's different uh, points to make here. The one is, yes, um, different products have been built on top of NetBeans because it isn't simply uh, an an editor or it's uh, not simply a, a Java code for, uh, focused environment but it's also a framework so um, i've actually traveled a lot around the world to different companies where a java swing desktop framework turned out to be really useful um, and so that's one aspect too at the other part point is uh, the community i think without the many years and the extensibility um, of netbeans we wouldn't have been able to transition from one company to the next company as we did and now into apache where the community that we've built up around it using the apis using the extensibility creating applications on top of it that community now is continuing to maintain and develop it further um, in the apache software foundation
0: i think we've seen a bit the same thing with Spring. it's a product of vmware but actually a whole community of other tools supporting spring and vice versa something you can uh, tell us about that martin
4: yeah, sure. I think it's it's a huge huge community that uh, got built around this this open source project. And being open source is, of course, one of the major drivers behind that, right? Because everybody can can adopt that, and and everybody can can take a look inside. And at the same time, I think it was just super easy to use. I think that was one of the. It solved the real problem back then when Spring was invented. And it was just easy to use, or easy to adopt, easy to dive in, and solve the real developer need. So I think those were the, the main drivers behind growing the community around that and being open to that at the same time. I think you you've seen the same um at Eclipse, for example, from the ID perspective, looking at that as well, because it was built in the early days, it was really built with the extensibility idea in mind, right? It was really built, even though the first versions looked like a Java IDE, it was really a platform for building IDEs. And the Java IDE was just, oh, we need to build up one example to show people how to build IDEs on top of this platform. So let's build a kind of the Java extension for the platform and ship that. that was reflected in the internal architecture of the Eclipse um, IDE itself because it was built out of these kind of plugins. But plugins was not a mechanism to extend the IDE. It was really kind of at the core of everything, right? Every little piece of the every little component of the whole thing was a plugin and has an API and was using other plugins or whatever, other components. Nowadays you would maybe also call them modules or whatever, or GI bundles or Whatever. But the core idea was really to build that out, uh, build the whole thing as an extensible system from day one. And that allowed many people to jump on that and many people to do basically all the different kinds of things on top of this platform, like building IDEs for different languages, building IDEs for different environments, building even not IDE products, uh, basically in kind of the same direction than. And, and, uh, what Gideon was mentioned about NetBeans, um, people building business applications on top of the same platform, which is kind of, which is a bit weird because you've built a platform for IDEs and now people kind of grab that and build crazy other stuff on top of that. Uh, and nowadays you see that it's not, it's not, it was maybe not always the best choice to do that in in, in every case but uh, it was kind of an interesting proof that this was a really extensible system. And there was a huge community growing around that, even kind of ending up in this Eclipse foundation and now uh, being an even bigger community beyond IDEs.
0: You mentioned OSGI. I think wasn't Eclipse built on top of OSGI?
4: Yeah, actually the first version of Eclipse, Eclipse one and Eclipse two, was not built on top of OGI. They had their own plugin mechanism, so their own kind of uh, creating a class loader for 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 loading those plugins and having um, an XML file like a plugin XML for describing dependencies or describing extensions and dependencies. I think. And um, then I think there was a switch from Eclipse 2 to Eclipse 3, where they rethought the internal architecture about the plugin because people from the community were asking for more more features, more flexibility, more dynamic behavior, and things like that. It was not built into the kind of homegrown little plugin system that they had. And then they did this major work internally to adopt an OSGI runtime below the Eclipse plugin architecture, so that people were basically being able to build plugins for Eclipse the same way as they did before, but now running OSGI behind the scenes for that. And then they opened up all that stuff to kind of the OSGI APIs, and you would just more or less be able to not build a plugin for Eclipse, but build in random OSGI bundle and put that into the Eclipse Runtime because it was running on top of an OSGI Runtime. But that was actually a shift. It did not start that way. It just evolved into running on top of OSGI with a lot of interesting (laughs) challenges along the way and and things that the OSGI community is is not that happy about (laughs) nowadays. I've I've been involved
0: in a few OSGI projects. Uh, It was a pain from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you mentioned uh, open source uh, Martin uh, all these editors that we've already mentioned uh, are open source or free uh, Helen also uh, IntelliJ has a community free edition Yes Actually uh, JetBrains is a company based around IDE so you really made a business model out of this Um how was that possible because there are many amazing free tools I, I pay for, uh, no, no, I have a free one. I have to admit I have a free <laughs> one because I work on an open source project, but most developers pay or a lot of Java developers pay for an IntelliJ license. How is JetBrains able to build a company on top of this?
1: I think, I think there are multiple reasons. Um, as you've already mentioned, IntelliJ IDEA Community Edition, uh, that is open source. I think that's been a big part of our success. There's lots of other reasons. So at JetBrains, we we genuinely believe in building good quality products, which people don't mind paying for. And we focus on providing the best experience that we can. So we're driven by wanting to help developers by creating these great tools and doing that in a sustainable manner. It means that our incentives are they're aligned with that of our users. So we need to build those good quality products in order to iterate on them and continue to invest in the development of them. It's not just about the development, though, as well. It's worth it's worth mentioning the QA and the support side of things because for our users, it's about knowing that we are here for them and we are invested in supporting them and the technologies that they're going to need and use at any given moment. Um, it's also, you know, we really do strive to be responsive to the community and always do better, always improve. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention people. It sounds like a cop out, but quite honestly, genuinely awesome people, of which JetBrains has has many, and that makes a big difference for us as well.
3: It's amazing what what uh, JetBrains has done, and I think this is maybe the way for a development environment to be created that that is really performant and functional, and full of features, and 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 stable, and constantly developing. If there is a company behind it, I mean that's the ideal situation in many ways. Um, That's how you know for sure that you know if if the business model is based around the development environment and you know then then you're in a good place with with the tools that you use.
1: Absolutely, it's actually it's wonderful to be a part of because it's you really see the difference that we make. And obviously, you know you you get feedback, and that's one of the wonderful things about being a developer advocate as well is. You, you get to stay so connected with the community and see and hear what's going on, what's working, what's not working, what what can we do about that? And that constant feedback loop, and again, the striving to do better, to improve, to pivot, to change um, according to what our, what our community and our users need at any given time.
3: I think also that companies um, put a lot of faith in a product um, that is backed in that way. If you're looking around for a development environment and you know that the business model of the of a particular company is based on that development environment and it's been around for a long time and so on, then why would you not use um, um, IntelliJ from JetBrains?
1: I think as well another, I don't know if you'd class it as a a reason that we've been so successful, but something that I, I firmly believe in and I think JetBrains do very well is something that you mentioned, Frank, in terms of supporting open source projects. With ultimate License supporting academia, supporting students in that respect. I think that's something else that is, um, it aligns very closely to my moral stance as well. So, I think that's something that, um, is definitely a strength of ours.
0: It's very nice to hear such kind words of Geert Jan, who's from the NetBeans team towards JetBrain. So That's what I also have loved in the the Java community, that we are all striving together
3: to make Java better and and the adoption of of Java. But but I think the one key reason why Java has been so great for so many years and is so popular and so on is because of the the great tools that there are and, and that there's choice. So I think all of us contribute to the success of the Java community together.
0: Yeah, and that brings me back to Microsoft. Before I did Java, I was a C C Sharp programmer, so I've been using a lot of Microsoft tools uh, at that time. There was a competition ongoing between C Sharp and and Java. And what we see nowadays is that Microsoft is one of the biggest uh, committers uh, to the involvement of Java, and then we have Visual Studio Code now. That is a full Java tool if you install the right uh, plugins. Uh, Nick, can you share a bit of that story of how Java evolved within Microsoft?
2: We always get feedback from some of our users that you know I'm just uh, you know grateful that we have Java on Visual Studio Code sometimes. Uh, and actually, uh, Java on Visual Studio Code have a little bit of history. I think back in About seven years ago, there was uh, a hackathon in Switzerland uh, hosted by the Visual Studio Code team. Uh, So I think the the hackathon was to understand the language server protocol. Uh, Basically, that was the the core of the uh, Eclipse IDE, uh, the building block of the Eclipse IDE uh, to understand if we can have some sort of uh, concrete Java support uh, in Visual Studio Code, and uh, uh, and the result of HackSum is the one uh, w- one of the very basic or fun- fundamental uh, extension uh, of the uh, of the language support extension today that millions of people are using on Visual Studio Code, called language support uh, for Java on VS Visual Studio Code. Uh, and that actually was the result of engineers from both Red Hat uh, and Microsoft and some other companies as well, as well. So um, based on that extension from I think 2016, both companies just started uh, building features and features extension and extensions uh, after that. So uh, we we added you know debugger, uh, you know project manage management extension and then Maven support, uh, Gradle support. And of course, we uh, work with uh, VMware added spring extension, you know, seven seven years later, uh, 2023, we have about 2 million Java developers using uh, Java language support on Visual Studio Code. So um, that's a, you know, a simplified version of the, uh, the the back the the history of the Java Java support on Visual Studio Code. Just one more thing to mention that uh, actually Microsoft has been investing a lot in Java the the Java ecosystem recently. That we actually uh, joined JCP last year, uh, actually in 2021, and now we are part of the JCP and uh, uh, starting to take an active role in JCP and. the, uh, Uh, you know, try to work with the JCP specifications.
0: On Fuji, we have several blog posts around all these IDEs. I see, uh, Nick, you uh, posted a few about the Java updates, uh, specifically Mm. for Visual Studio Code. There's a great one by Marit, a colleague of you, Helen, about presenting with IntelliJ. several posts on on fuji we will add uh, links uh, to the show notes uh, that you can find them back very easily Uh, there's also an an interesting article uh, about netbeans where ai is integrated into netbeans to create a tool is this something you can tell us more about here
3: there's an amazing developer called uh, zoran Shevarat who is in belgrade in serbia and he's a java champion and he's created a deep learning environment on top of NetBeans um, for machine learning with a lot of tools and drag and drop and uh, visualizations and graphs and charts and, uh, and things like that with with um, and also some uh, JavaFX uh, integration all on top of NetBeans. It's been amazing to see the different uh, contexts in which it's being used. Um, for example, there's a story on Fuji about uh, chess analysis via this tool. Um, there's various other articles on what people are doing with with machine learning using uh, deep nets. So that's the name of this tool on top of NetBeans. So yeah, that's that's really been a great development.
0: Martin, so you're the lead of the Spring Tools project. You have experience with all these IDEs. Not gonna let you pick a favorite. <laughs> Would not be fair for the others. But can you tell us more about how this development is done for these different IDEs?
4: Yeah, I think in the in the early days, the really first incarnation of the Spring Developer Tools for IDEs was built on top of Eclipse because it was the, the premier Java development environment back then. I think it was kind of 2006 or something like that, um, done by a few people. And um, we, the goal for us and for the team was always to make Spring Developers in the world more productive. So our goal was never... Really, to advertise a certain IDE or to prefer a certain IDE or to make people use a specific IDE if they want to do Spring development. The goal was always to tell them, hey, you choose the IDE that you like and that you love, and we try to make you more productive using Spring. Uh, and back then, we started with Eclipse, and JetBrains did, did an awesome job of implementing additional Spring tooling on top for IntelliJ. So the Ultimate Edition has a huge set of, of Spring tools. So there was basically no need for us to build <laughs> tooling for JetBrains ourselves because JetBrains just did an awesome job for that and kind of check, right? So using IntelliJ, you're a Spring developer. You you are super awesome, supported by the IDE for that. And then we kind of the, that was kind of, those were kind of the, and 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 I think that NetBeans was there as well. And those were kind of the, the landscape I think a few years ago, or actually several years ago already, the landscape changed again a little bit because people were more interested in, or interested in these sort of more lightweight editors and more lightweight environments instead of these big IDEs that integrate everything for you. And that is where I think VS Code came up as a, as a new project from Microsoft. Focusing everything around the code editing and a very, very lightweight experience on the editor. And at the same time, building uh, an extension model where you were able to build tooling for languages in a totally different way than before. Because before, in the old days for, for IntelliJ, for Eclipse, for NetBeans, and so on, you always had to build extensions against this API in a specific language. Like if you, my experience is based on Eclipse, so you had to kind of implement your Eclipse extension as a Java plugin, um, call the APIs in Java, it was loaded into the JVM, executed inside the same JVM, and that's basically it, right? You, so you were very tied to this environment and people starting implementing, for example, tooling for that environment, they were kind of, they were rebuilding, the C parser in Java, right? Even though there were, of course, plenty of C parsers written in C or C++ or C Sharp, they had to reimplement everything in Java to make it work inside of Eclipse. And VS Code changed that game because it, it moved this architecture on top of this language server protocol where you can extract all your language tooling into a separate process, build it on top of a totally different thing, and then plug that into the lightweight editor. And that was the time when we shifted the whole architecture of the Spring tools internally and basically more or less rebuilt everything on top of this language server protocol architecture. So the core of the Spring tooling is really, we try to really build that once and put that into the language server, into a language server. It's not really a language, of course, it's more a framework because so we support Spring, Spring Boot and so on, um, but it's built as a language server with a goal in mind to plug that into different clients, different IDEs, different lightweight editors that all support this protocol. That was kind of um, a very beneficial move for us and for the team, because now nowadays we are able to more or less build the spring tooling once, as a language server, and you can use that in VS Code, you can use that in Gitpod, you can even use that in Eclipse. So reintegrating that into Eclipse as a language server, you can use that across many different environments, many different Even you can use it in Emacs, things like that. Um, so that opened up the door for supporting many different IDEs because we would like to meet the developers where they are. So whatever they use, that's awesome. Continue to use the IDE that you love, and we give you the spring tooling. So that opened up the door for supporting many, many, many more developers around the globe. And nowadays, VS Code is, of course, uh, quite an interesting player in that game. That was kind of the big architectural move that we did in, inside of the spring tooling to make it a lot easier for us to support different IDEs.
0: It's nice that you mentioned this lightweight editor because. Uh, Helen, you did a shameless plug on your book. I'll do the same. <laughs> I've written one about Java on the Raspberry Pi, and I've actually written the book on the Raspberry Pi with Visual Studio Code because it's not only a Java editor. It's uh, the book is written in Markdown for Leanpub, so it it again has plugins to support this language or this this uh, formatting. Visual Studio Code runs as well on an very small Raspberry Pi as on an, on a heavy uh, developer uh, PC. Do you think that this has indeed shifted some developers towards different systems, Nick, that you have this lightweight program?
2: I would say so, because the Visual Studio Code is, uh, you know, born in the open source world and uh, people uh, have been submit, submitting feature requests uh, from day zero. Uh, in the repo, and uh, uh, we've been seeing hundreds of feature requests. Uh, in the repo, that they have a bunch of different devices, and uh, they have asking to support Visual Studio code in to run on on their own devices. And you can uh, imagine all different devices, you know, BlackBerry uh, devices, uh, you know, uh, different kinds of phone devices, and they, uh, people want to run code on, on all sorts of things. Uh, and you can ima- even imagine, uh, you know, people having installed uh, devices on in their homes to monitor temperatures. They even want to modify things on such devices to uh, run, you know, customized customized logic. So uh, I would say, you know, it really kind of uh, motivated people to bring uh, evolution to the product. And uh, it kind of uh, have two-way product management. Ah, uh, one way to to the product management to Microsoft and then the other way to the user uh, to to have a healthy discussion uh, to the community. So I think that's definitely uh, uh, have a positive impact on the community. Yeah.
0: With Covid and very strange things happening in the last years, we've seen a lot of changes in how developers work. Actually, code with me in IntelliJ was me at some point a real aha uh-huh discovery. Uh, I was working with uh, a colleague in Ukraine, and actually we were, I'm in Belgium, he's in Ukraine, we had the same code. I saw what he was typing, he was running my code on my PC from, that was mind-blowing. I think this kind of... (laughs) <laughs> this kind of evolutions and then yeah, more work from home. I think these were also important in the evolution of the ideas now. I think.
1: Uh Trisha J and I, uh, when we wrote our book, we used Code With Me. That was our our whole model because you know, I'm in the UK, she's in Spain. So uh it was forever. Shall we fire up Code With Me session? <laughs> uh and you know, one of us typing and well, normally me and and uh Trisha sharing knowledge. So yeah, uh I really I like Code with Me. I use it a lot, and like even in just my day to day now.
0: For people who don't know it, so one of the two users has IntelliJ, You send an invite.
1: That's right. Yeah, and you don't need the other person or the other people. It's um, it's not limited to one. There are license implications, of course, but you can have as many, um, as you need within that model. Um, and they don't need the full version of the IDE. So you can just send a link and collaborate. You still get all the the features that you'd expect to get from IntelliJ IDEA in terms of the code completion, et cetera. And you can just pair like you're sat next to each other.
0: And next step that, that we're seeing now is online editors. Uh, so what is the trick if you're in GitHub and you press the, but, uh, the dots on your keyboard that it opens an IDE? Isn't that Visual Studio Code which is opened in the background or am I wrong?
2: I think that's the code spaces <laughs> or that's the vscode.dev. It's the full... VS Code uh, experience. And so it's basically like you're using VS Code in desktop, uh, except that it's in the cloud. So uh, it's a web version. But if it's VS Code.dev, some extensions are not supported on the web, Some, but some extensions are. So you will have just to try and see uh, what kind of extension are supported. If it's supported, you can also just use it uh, you Use it as you are on desktop, yeah.
3: I must say that one of my my main discoveries of the last year was when I went to my browser and went to my GitHub URL, github.com slash my name and to the repository and changed github.com to github.dev. And then you're in an amazing editor, which, which is VS Code, right? Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Just take your github.com URL, Change github.com to github.dev, and you're in an editor with yeah. syntax coloring and everything, and you can commit directly online. Um, it's an That's an amazing tool.
0: I think it's definitely for open source projects where someone wants to quickly fix something. Mm-hmm. I think this can be... I don't use it enough myself. I have to admit, I know it exists, but I probably should document it in some open source project that if you want to do a fix...
3: Or, or write documentation. It's great for writing documentation.
0: Yeah. You don't need to fork it or, or make a full copy, right. get it to your computer, open it, upload yep. it again. Definitely some big evolutions going on, on there. As we have all of you here in the room, let's just go uh, around the table and you're allowed to do some shameless plugging for your own product. What are the main benefits? And definitely, what's coming next? What will be new in 2023?
2: So as everybody is aware, VS Code is not a traditional Java IDE. It's actually a lightweight cross-platform code editor. Uh, We are always trying to find a balance between the editor and IDE for Java developers uh, in 2023. Our focus is to bring new features to the cloud native experience. So this includes uh, better, getting started experience for uh, Kubernetes and Grow VM pro- projects, and also added more uh, inner loop experience for cloud related features, improve better uh, remote debugging experience. In addition, we are working very closely with VMware to improve uh, major Spring developer experience. So this includes uh, visualization upgrade in Spring Boot dashboard, and also better uh, discoverability in Spring tooling and make Spring features easier to discover. Apart from that, we know uh, fundamental coding experience is always very important uh, to Java developers uh, because coding is basically what Java developers do every day. So uh, we always try to improve the code completion, smartness and intelligence but we also try to improve the uh, performance and reliability uh, as well as the user experience uh, and I'll also publish the uh, roadmap uh, probably in February. So stay tuned. Like I said, Vicious2Code is uh, probably born uh, in the open source. Whenever you have feedback, uh, always feel free to open the feature request uh, in a repo. Just search for VS Code Java and. Uh, you'll land out in a repo, just feel free to de- open the feature request. We we'll always have, uh, we can always have the discussion there.
1: So let's see, uh, shameless plugs, where are we? Uh, IntelliJ IDEA is over 20 years old. It's obviously um, an enterprise tool. It's very feature rich, but the, the barrier to entry is still really low. And that's one of the wonderful things about it. You know, if you've not programmed before, you can go in there and you can get started with template code. Shortcuts such as Alt-Enter, my favorite shortcut, you can fix and reshape code really quickly um, it helps you to stay in the flow it helps reduce context switching as well right somebody mentioned earlier in, in the podcast that your ide should get out of the way it shouldn't be like hi i'm your ide it should it should be a tool that empowers you and you know isn't there effectively it, of course the IDE is there to help you with code but it wants it wants to help you be a badass developer um, there's lots of examples of this throughout IntelliJ IDEA. Uh, integrated Git tooling, I am not a fan of rebase. Uh, IntelliJ makes rebasing much easier than it would be on the, command line, on the command line, certainly from my point of view. So you can be successful faster. In terms of what's coming up, there's a lot. Right, where do I start with this? New user interface, yes. If you haven't tried it yet, please go in there and try it. The setting is in your settings, clever. Just search for new UI, you can select the checkbox. There's a URL in there so you can give us your feedback. I've been using it for a while now. I've shared my feedback with the team. We want your feedback. It's normal to feel like maybe your cheese has moved, but after a while you will realize that it hasn't and all that functionality that you know and love is still there. So if you haven't used the new UI yet, please go and check it out. What else are we doing? Adding support for new Java versions, that's ongoing. We get you know two releases a year. Performance improvements as well, they're being worked on. And finally, remote development. So we've talked about this a little bit already. Um, JetBrain's Gateway is currently in beta. So that's going to be a really exciting journey as it matures. And, you know, we're all kind of alluding to the fact that the world is reshaping and people are working in different ways than they were before. So the notion of remote development, code with me as part of that story, is, is a really exciting one. So yeah, stay tuned.
0: You were mentioning uh, JetBrains Gateway. Can you give me some more info about that?
1: JetBrains Gateway is a desktop application that will allow you to work remotely with a JetBrains IDE, even if you haven't downloaded one. So you can connect through SSH and Gateway takes care of deploying the back end of the IDE and you connect to it. It's Kind of, it sounds really simple because it is. Um, and then you you can work with your IntelliJ based IDE and locally without um, what's connected to, to the IDE somewhere else in the cloud. Um, I actually had to look up where you can run your IDE's backend, and it's a whole list. So it can be on JetBrain Space, Google Cloud, Gitpod, GitHub Code Spaces, Amazon Code Catalyst, and of course on any machine by SSH.
0: So I can go back to my Raspberry Pi experiments and actually run JetBrains now on the Raspberry Pi.
1: Go for it. Let's do it.
0: And that can be a new Fuji pod, uh, <laughs> podcast or our blog post.
3: I think in the coming year, the interesting thing about NetBeans will continue to be what has been interesting about it over the past few years, which is its integration into the Apache Software Foundation. And that process has been a very interesting one, bringing the community together, um, trying to fit the way that we've worked over the years into the Apache way of doing things. Um, And that's worked out really well. And we have uh, four releases per year on a regular basis. You know, um, we have a schedule, we have a release uh, team, we are no longer in the situation that we were once when we were in, in Oracle and Sun where there was one person who knew everything about release management. And if that person got run over by a bus, you know, we would have had a problem right now. We are simply following the Apache Software Foundation's release processes. Um, so you know, NetBeans has always been open source, but now it's also Apache governed, which which brings a lot of benefits and enables anyone to pick it up and use it because everything is Apache licensed. It took us years to get to this point, but every single file, all the millions of files of NetBeans are now Apache licensed. It's the largest project in the Apache Software Foundation by quite far. Um, and anyone can come along and take it, uh, contribute to it. Everything's on GitHub. Um, we, we're following all the processes. So that that process and continuing that process um is is really what what what's what's interesting and going to continue about ebmins uh martin can you share something about eclipse
4: i can share something about eclipse i can share something about the spring tools of course uh yeah from the eclipse perspective yeah, i think it will continue to upgrade to the latest java versions so that will be a major driver and making the core java tooling um, more flexible and more easy to u- reuse because not not sure that was mentioned before here, but um, the Java tooling in VS Code is actually using the Java tooling of Eclipse at the core to implement all the all the functionality. So that will evolve quite a bit to make it easier to run inside of these language servers, as we talked about before. So that's going to be a, a major journey, I think, from the Eclipse perspective. And from the Spring perspective, from the tools, um, I think there are really two things that we heavily look into. One is giving you more insights into running Spring applications, which I think is, is pretty interesting, pretty cool, because it gives you information about your running app inside of your IDE. So you don't have to do this mental shift between you stare at your code, your static code, and the application runs. And somehow you need to translate what's going on in the running applications versus what's written in your source code. We try to kind of bridge this, this gap and directly display the information from what's going on, how are your beams wired, what objects are being created, what request metrics are being active, and things like that inside of your source code, which is, I think, really cool. We will do a lot more of that. And the other thing that we look into is supporting people upgrading to new versions of Spring and Spring Boot. And I think that is going to be a real game changer because we are going to, we already shipped the first version of that. We are going to adopt um, an open source project called Open Rewrite, which helps you to change source code, basically, and to implement things like refactorings and small changes. but. In the end, as you know, these kind of uh, there's there's a new version of all those libraries coming out every day, more or less, and new patch versions, new minor versions, new major versions, and things like that. And uh, using these open rewrite technology behind the scenes, we are going to support people jumping to new versions of Spring and Spring Boot. So it is you can imagine that like uh if you jump to a new version you have these kind of migration guide or what has changed and you read through the documentation and you do all the changes and it's basically co- codifying 90 percent of that and automate that for your uh, source code for your applications so that makes it really really a lot easier to jump to new versions like, I don't know, switch from the old Java X to the new Jakarta packages automatically because you upgrade to Spring Boot 3 and that requires jumping to Java 17 and jumping to the new uh, Jakarta packages and tens or 20 or, or hundreds of other changes. And we're trying really to automate that based on this open rewrite framework. And that is where the community comes back in because, people can join this open rewrite community and implement their own code changes, their own automated code modernizations. And uh, our IDE integration that we built for the Spring tools that is basically available for VS Code and uh, and Eclipse, and that could also be expected to be more universal applicable is to basically allow users to apply those code changes automatically inside of the coding environment all the time, which I think will be a huge game changer for people adopting new versions and jumping new versions and basically making that something that is really a lot, a lot less painful than it was basically in the past
0: sometimes. Will it also help developers move from Java 8 to newer?
4: Yeah. If you look at the Open Rewrite project, they are kind of so called recipes. These kind of small recipes changing a little thing and bigger recipes and bigger recipes are composed out of small recipes. And there's a whole landscape of those recipes. Like there are some very basic ones, like change a package name in Java or change a property key in a properties file. So it's not specific for a Java language. It's really universal. And there are recipes combined for, oh, you need to do all these for jump from Java version 8 to Java version 11, or how should you change your code when you move from Java 11 to 17, or how should you change your code when you jump from Spring Boot 2 to Spring Boot 3? I think there's support for other enterprise frameworks as well, um, other languages as well. At least that is slowly starting. And the cool thing is, is those recipes, they can really work across file types. So it's not only changing Java source code, it can change Java source code based on an, on an abstract syntax tree. And so really semantically aware and, and knowing what to do, as well as changing your property files, changing your YAML files, changing, adding new dependencies to your POM file, updating versions in your POM file, modernizing your POM file, for example, and things like that. So it's really powerful. And since it's kind of combined out of these small pieces, you build up the, these larger recipes. Um, it's really interesting because you can you can use that across many different different use cases.
0: Sounds really great. Okay, thank you very much. All of you, uh, a lot of info again, a lot we have learned, and a lot we can read uh, based on all the links we have for the show notes so thank you very much first of all yeah my guests of this episode and you for listening keep an eye on fuji for future articles about the development and everything related to java and the gvm world
1: give me a fu give me a j give me the friends of openjdk